You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's February 17th. The devastating earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria earlier this month was one of the strongest to hit the region in the past century. More than 36,000 people have been confirmed dead. As rescue efforts continue and the long recovery process begins, many questions remain. RAND researchers recently provided insights into a wide range of important topics, from what the long-term reconstruction effort will look like, to the cost of the crisis, to supporting refugees. Here's just a sampling of what they had to say. Shelley Culbertson, a senior policy researcher who focuses on forced displacement, post-conflict stabilization, and disaster recovery, discussed the top considerations for recovery efforts. After the immediate response, rescuing people, addressing injuries, uniting families, putting out fires, clearing rubble, and restoring basic services, the longer-term recovery will begin. This will include developing plans, managing financing, coordinating among national and local governments, along with international donors, rebuilding homes and public infrastructure, developing improved standards, and many more steps. RAND research has shown that recoveries like the one facing Turkey and Syria take a long time. Depending on the severity of the disaster, it can take 5, 10, or even 15 years to do much of the needed rebuilding, which is expensive and demanding. Reconstruction in both countries could require capital investment of many billions of dollars. And there may be challenges in finding the staffing and those with the skills needed to oversee these projects, not to mention the massive workforce needed to do the rebuilding. Krishna Kumar, vice president of RAND International, discussed concerns for the many Syrian refugees in the region. They should be included and involved in the reconstruction efforts, he says. In fact, a recent RAND study found that refugees are eager to contribute to the local economy, even during normal times. And during this extraordinary time, they are likely to be even more willing to work, especially since many refugees themselves have been affected. However, legal and regulatory restrictions often prevent them from working. Turkish officials could remove this hurdle by suspending all restrictions on the kinds of jobs Syrian refugees can do and accept help in recovery and reconstruction from all. Jesse Raposo, who directs the Disaster Management and Resilience Program within the RAND Homeland Security Research Division, explained the economic impacts of this crisis. Current estimates include nearly $70 billion in housing losses and another $10.4 billion in economic loss. These massive numbers, which are likely to only increase, are partly due to the poor construction of many properties. This is a stark reminder, Raposo says, of the importance of implementing more resilient building codes and standards, and that new construction should adhere to safe building practices. To get more insights from our experts, you can find the complete Q&A on the RAND blog. By the end of January, America had already experienced 63 incidents with four or more people shot and more than 4,200 firearm deaths. 
Despite the high rates of gun violence in the U.S., data collection on gun deaths and injuries is severely lacking. For example, the federal government collects no official data on mass shootings and has no comprehensive data collection system tracking non-fatal firearm injuries. According to RAND experts, shying away from measuring gun violence may be making the problem more difficult to fix. What's really needed, they say, are reliable state-level estimates to understand how laws and other prevention efforts affect firearm violence. The federal government could also help bolster data collection by ensuring that funding is sustained. Improving data quality is also key. Additionally, there is one step that could be taken right away to help improve data collection on gun violence, removing the legal barriers that prevent researchers from using data that is already available, such as information on guns used in crimes. The importance of data collection cannot be understated. As our experts note, all Americans want to see reductions in firearm violence, but specific proposals are often controversial because there are no data demonstrating their effectiveness. If such data were collected, this would no longer be an excuse. Recent estimates show that 6% of women in the military were sexually assaulted in the last year. Another 24% experienced sexual harassment. Prevention is essential, but when sexual violence does occur, it's also vital to ensure that victims get the mental health care they need afterward. Rand's Julia Rollison recently wrote about the lasting effects of the trauma from sexual violence and what military and veteran services can do to help individuals heal. Rollison notes that women's difficulties getting treatment for sexual trauma is, of course, not unique to the military. But serving in the military is a complicating factor. In surveys, female service members have explained how they are filled with self-doubt and shame after a sexually traumatic experience. They worry what their peers or commanders would think. Or they consider the trauma to not be severe enough to warrant getting care, perhaps especially if they are comparing their experience to that of combat. High numbers of women who have been assaulted or harassed also report that they don't trust military or veteran health systems or their providers. Further, the very environment of military and veteran healthcare settings can be unwelcoming or even distressing. As one woman interviewed about VA healthcare put it, quote, there's just so many men here, men who have particularly worn uniforms, and that was one of my big triggers, was being around people in uniform. Rollison discusses some changes that could help address these issues. To start, no one should feel as if there is a trauma threshold for seeking mental health care. This is a message that needs to be delivered clearly and repeatedly throughout a military career, Rollison says. Adding more female psychiatrists, psychologists, and other counselors could also help. The VA could also roll out more women-only spaces and clinics, or at least establish adequate distance between patients in waiting rooms. In addition, VA staff could be trained in stigma-reducing communication skills. Barriers to accessing mental health care should also be addressed. Women have reported problems getting appointments, getting time off work, securing childcare, and affording the treatment they need. Whatever the specific policies put in place, 
military victims of sexual violence clearly need more support. The Pentagon and VA need to, quote, press forward with efforts to ensure victims receive high-quality mental health care in a safe and supportive environment, and don't have to jump over hurdles to get it, Rollison says. At least until spring of last year, the dismal teaching conditions resulting from the pandemic had not led to notably higher educator turnover. However, surveys of educators continue to show that many teachers and principals plan to push up their retirement because of COVID-19, and morale among educators looks to be at an all-time low. To obtain a national picture of teacher and principal turnover, Rand conducted a survey of leaders from nearly 300 public school districts. The results show that teacher turnover rates have increased significantly since before the pandemic reaching 10% nationally at the end of the 2021-2022 school year. Principal turnover has increased too, up to 16% going into the 2022-2023 school year. Teacher turnover last school year was highest, around 12-14% to in urban districts, high-poverty districts, and districts serving predominantly students of color. Meanwhile, principal turnover was highest around 21 to 23 percent in high-poverty districts and in rural districts. Notably, our survey results also show that states and school districts are responding to staff shortages. Ninety percent of districts reported one or more policy changes designed to help boost teacher ranks. These changes include increased pay or benefits and the expansion of grow-your-own teacher preparation programs. Law enforcement is increasingly using facial recognition technology to solve crimes. This technology may be groundbreaking, but it also poses serious risks. For example, misuse of facial recognition or system failures could lead to convictions of innocent people. As facial recognition technology is used more and more widely, policymakers need greater insights into the potential risks and benefits. A new RAND report aims to provide such insights. The authors conducted a literature review, interviewed subject matter experts, and led a nationally representative survey of public perceptions of facial recognition use by law enforcement. Based on their findings, they identified some opportunities that could help guide regulation, such as narrowing the use of this technology. This narrowing could include only using facial recognition to investigate serious crimes, increasing the level of authorization required for using facial recognition, reducing the number of people being searched or doing the searching, restricting the types of images or the quality of images used, and implementing requirements for deleting data. Transparency about when facial recognition is used is also critical, according to the report. Full disclosure about types of use cases and about when facial recognition is used in individual cases could help reduce the risk of an innocent person being arrested and convicted if the system is flawed or used inappropriately. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org podcast. And be sure to listen to next week's show. We'll be joined by RAND senior policy researcher Dara Masico, an expert in Russian military strategy and capabilities. 
This is just one of the many ways Rand is recognizing the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine next week. We'll also have special features on Rand.org and a live event on Twitter Spaces next Tuesday. We hope you'll check those out and join us back here for our conversation with Dara next Friday. See you then.